When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. You're waiting for me to say something, aren't you? Well, what am I going to say? I mean, that was one hell of a busy news day yesterday, right? Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So, as the fallout from that interview was being discussed in living rooms and offices around the world yesterday afternoon, the royal family was debating just how to respond to the ghastly accusation of racism from the Princess of Wokery, Meghan Markle, who deliberately set her hair running by making out that a member of the same royal family had made a racist remark about her unborn child, Archie. The Queen, of course, was Serenity herself. Uh, and when a statement was issued late yesterday afternoon, it was firm, it was clear, and it was typically classy, unlike the tenor of the Oprah Winfrey Fan Fest, where nothing was questioned, no challenges were made, and the Duke and Duchess of Netflix were given free reign to make smear after smear about their own relatives. And the reverberations, of course, didn't end there. Shortly after the palace statement came out, there was another bombshell. Piers Morgan, the star of Good Morning Britain, who you've just heard on the news there, dramatically quit the show after walking off the set yesterday morning during a row with weatherman Alex Beresford. Of course it was about Meghan and what he had said about her. Apparently the subjects of racism and mental health are no-go areas now for commentators and opinion formers in the UK media. ITV this morning is a much less well-informed and entertaining place. But their loss will be someone else's gain. Piers Morgan will not be disappearing from you. He won't be hiding his light under a bushel. In fact, he's already tweeted today that in his words, freedom of speech is a hill he's happy to die on. ITV has hitched its wagon to a smarmy, embarrassing interview between friends and in the process has lost its biggest box office star. Brilliant. Well done, guys. 0344-499-1000. Coming up, we'll be bringing you Prime Minister's questions in the company of Charlotte Ivers. We'll be taking the temperature north of the border with TV presenter Neil Oliver, uh, where the SNP are he- heaving a huge sigh of relief because nobody's worried about what's going on in their party anymore. And we'll be bringing you the news as it happens in this incredibly fast-moving week. As ever, we need to hear from all of you out there. What are you thinking? What are you hearing? And what are you doing? If your kids are back at school, are they happy? Are they fed up? Are they being forced into wearing masks? Do let us know so we can tell everybody else. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Well, as I say, the news was coming thick and fast yesterday. In fact, it's been like that all week. It's Wednesday already, and I don't know how we got here uh, with so much going on. Let us talk now to John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent, because there are major conversations to be had. John, a very good morning to you. 
Good morning, Mike. I hope they're not about the royal family. Well, not necessarily about the royal family, but certainly about the sort of the state of play uh, in terms of our constitution, in terms of the way things are, uh, in terms of... I was going to harken back to your uh, man, Mr Tony Blair, the last time there was a sort of, you know, monarchy crisis situation going on <laughs> after the death of Princess Diana, when Alistair Campbell, your mate uh, and his boss, Tony Blair, was sort of pushing gently towards the old uh, um, Republican side of things. Um, I, don't, I, I don't agree that this is anywhere near as serious as that. No, no. Do you mean the time when Tony Blair saved the monarchy from itself? I mean, that was, uh, that was a, uh, a complete uh, monarchist uh, operation uh, by the well-known uh, Republican uh, Alistair Campbell. Uh, but, you know, Tony Blair saved the, saved the monarchy from itself, and, and now there's no one uh, to, to perform that role, and the monarchy is going to uh, destroy itself, I suspect. Do you think that, really? No, no. I mean, because the alternative is so much worse, isn't it? I mean, who wants an elected president? But well, I mean, especially, really... if especially if it's Tony Blair. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> that's what everybody says, because he's the only guy that's ever kind of given off that aura of a man who wants to be president, you know? Yeah, um, not quite the right fit for the role. Um, but, yeah, it, who, who knows? I mean, I would prefer a bicycling monarchy um you know they could all live in a, a two up two down in in a, in a northern uh, city and cycle everywhere and that would be that would be much better yes arrangement. i mean i don't think That's- there's there's any doubt that once um, the queen decides to either no longer be in charge or for whatever other reason isn't able to be in charge um there's a problem isn't there because there is um i mean there's a problem it, it, you know personally i've got huge respect for the queen just as uh, the Prime Minister had yesterday, which I thought was was a very clever statement where he said, I'm not going to comment on the royal family, but, uh, you know, I've got a huge admiration for the Queen. Uh, I share that admiration, but I do do not share um, equivalent feelings for Prince Charles. Um, I, you know, don't particularly want him to be my king. I no. don't think. And I don't think many, I don't think, I think many people share your view, John, as well. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's all this ridiculous pressure to skip a generation and go straight to to William, I think his name is the mm. next one, um, and you know, the, you know, you either have a monarchy or you don't. In 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 my view, yes. and uh, well, once again, you'll be delighted to know you're in absolute and utter agreement with Peter Hitchens, who said exactly the same thing that if you're going to step over one, you might as well do away well, with the whole thing. Well, absolutely, no, I I agree with Peter Hitchens about a, a lot of things, uh, but uh, yeah, the monarchy is a bit of a problem because it obviously you know one can't agree with it in principle. Uh, the idea of inheriting uh, a st- status of that kind, but the alternatives, you know, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe it's time to come round to them. Mm. Well, I would be very, very reluctant, I think, to elect a president and then try and figure out whether that president would have a role in government or whether that president oh. would have a role um, as a sort of titular, like, almost like the Lord Mayor of London, who doesn't really do anything except turn out for a, for a procession once a year and wear a big chain round his neck. Well, that's fine. I mean, and, and the Irish seem to do that uh, perfectly well and uh, no harm done. So maybe maybe we should copy them. Yeah, well, we shall see. But I mean, it certainly is an interesting scenario that has been painted of them. And I think in a way, the reaction to the interview that was done earlier in the week with Oprah Winfrey is more interesting than the actual interview, isn't it? No, I don't know, because I didn't watch it. <laughs> Yeah, but even, even even you, John, can't have failed to have noticed that the people have written quite a lot about it in the newspapers. <laughs> Yeah, they have, but I haven't read it all. You haven't read uh, any of it. I don't believe you. I'm not that interested. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, but surely, you know, but you are you are a modern day, um, you know, sort of gadfly on the cultural scene. And whether you think you're only a political man is 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 not for you to say. I think you're a cultural icon, right? Now, therefore, <laughs> therefore, you must have a view on what modern Britain is and what the reaction to this interview is. Uh, is a is a is a mirror, as people like to say, on what we are yeah. here in this country. No, I have a view on uh, on Piers Morgan's departure from. And that's good because uh, I'm going to ask you about that as well. MB, because I I'm, I'm, uh, celebrate that. I think. Uh, Why I think would you celebrate a... somebody losing their job? Because um, he said something stupid, and he ought to pay the price for it. Uh, that's uh, you know, if if he well, wants I to mean, walk off, you, you might that's... argue that he's made a living out of saying something stupid. Yes, and, uh, and and a lot of the, the the foolish things he's said and done, I don't agree with. I mean, such as uh, you know, publishing uh, untrue uh, photographs of, uh, of British soldiers torturing Iraqis, for example. Well, he I says. Mean, so they, well, well, interestingly enough, he would tell you that they were not untrue. Uh, they just yes, they, they, they just weren't genuine. They were, they were not genuine. No, it's not the same thing. His, no, his defence of that is absolutely appalling. Uh, and unforgivable that uh, that although the, the the photos were mocked up, they represented something that uh, was actually happening. Might might have really happened. Yes. I mean, sorry, not that's not good enough. I mean, uh, you know, I'm very glad to see the back of him. But I mean, as you say, he'll be he'll be around. Well, yeah, he's not going to disappear. I think you'll find he'll be back more soon than you think. In some, well, in some way, shape, uh, or form. But I in, mean, in a way, but 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 you know, it was his. Let's face it, it was his decision to leave ITV. Um, and I, I suspect, I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect it was because they asked him to apologise for what he had said. I detected yesterday morning um, that he was already being told to say things that he probably wouldn't have wished to say because he had to clarify yeah. his remarks from the day before. And once Alex Beresford then started getting in his face, he genuinely was upset by that and, and decided to, to say that's that's enough for me. Yeah, uh, but I think I think ITV were entitled to ask him to apologise because I think what he said was uh, was was. Yes, was I mean I don't terrible. think I don't think it's for anybody in any situation to question somebody's admission that they were feeling suicidal. I think that's a very difficult area to go into, and I certainly wouldn't um, do that. Glad we agree on that, Mike. No, because, I would. I, mean, that... I would not do that. I mean, there are many things I would be critical of about Meghan Markle, um, but I also understand that there are certain. You know, we all have certain responsibilities. You know, I have a, a job to do here, which is to, um, you know, entertain people, to 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 sort of, you know, rile people up, but also to inform them in some way. And and I yeah. know, I believe I know anyway, where the lines are. Um, and that is yeah. one that I, I would not cross. And and you're quite right. He crossed it. I mean, he's perfectly entitled to his opinion about uh, uh, about Meghan and Harry in 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 general terms. Yeah. But that would. That was crossing the line, and I think it's quite right that he should pay the I mean, I think the it. other thing, I suppose, you would say is that if, say, for example, he was a guest on a show, um, as quite often people are, if he was a guest on a show uh, and he said something like that, um, then they could either argue with him or they could argue back to him or they could dismiss yeah. it or they could say, well, we're never booking that guy again. Um, yeah. But when you're the host, you have another responsibility, don't you? Absolutely, and uh, and I think I think that's you know that, that's very important when you're talking about issues of mental health and and suicidal feelings. Yeah, I think you, you just have to uh, show some sensitivity and responsibility. Yes, I think that's that's right. But nevertheless, it is an again an interesting place that we have found ourselves in because I don't know whether. Um, mental health has ever been this prominent in in the in the in the conversations that people have and it is a no, kind of it is a kind of a no-go area isn't it 
Yeah, but that's good. I mean, that, is that it? is progress. It's not a no-go area, Mike. I mean, that's a pejorative way of, of saying it. It is an area where people recognise that there are uh, incredible sensitivities and that you have to you have a responsibility to people who suffer from uh, depression or uh, suicidal feelings. And, um, you know, you can't just sort of blunder about um, just saying whatever comes into your comes into your mind well I mean, you, you can have- as long, no but you can actually as long as you say the right things you can actually yeah. say whatever you want about it as long as you say that you are in some way uh, suffering from it yeah but uh, y- yes of course so i think it's good that we are sensitized to these questions of uh, of, of mental health and uh, i think it's absolutely it's a sign of progress that piers morgan um was asked to apologize and it was right to ask him to to, to apologize and if he didn't want to uh, apologize then uh, he wasn't he wasn't the right person to present that show yeah no listen i i again i i don't disagree with what you say um i just find it sort of interesting that we are in this place now where you know no matter how successful you are no matter how big you are uh, no matter how powerful you are because a lot of people are now saying gmb is, is going to be finished without piers morgan and i suspect that may be true uh, it's certainly not going to achieve the highest rating of all time which it did yesterday as he's tweeted out <laughs> this morning that they beat bbc yeah. breakfast for the first time ever <laughs> Um, thanks to him, you might say. No, saw, it might be also thanks to Alex Beresford. I saw well, indeed, I saw that. No, but I mean, this complaint that you know political correctness means you're not allowed to say what you think. I mean, it really is a ridiculous trope. I mean, the point about political correctness is it means that people are learning uh, how to treat each other with respect and uh, and decency, and and you know standards of standards have changed and got better. Mm. Uh, you know, the people who grumble about that, who well, I'm not allowed to, you know, be racist in my local park, um, are, are examples of uh, progress. <laughs> yes, I mean, but, I th- but obviously anyone being racist in your local pub would be shut down, I would hope, by the other people in the pub. However, um, yeah, you know, the, the, lines, the lines are also getting quite blurred, John, as far as what you can say about uh, all sorts of things. You know, there are some people, for example, who take exception to the fact that I produce and present a radio show which is perceived to be right-wing. And so they therefore give me loads of abuse on Twitter on the basis they think I'm some kind of monster, which I'm clearly yeah. not. No, well, clearly not, Mike. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, obviously you've got to distinguish between uh, people who are moralising about uh, you know, political disagreements and you know, issues of uh, race and, and mental health and uh, all the rest of it. Mm where I think society is moving uh, gradually in the right direction. Uh, yes, no, I don't, I don't disagree with that. But I also, I caution, uh, a word of caution, because what I don't want to have is a situation where nobody uh, feels comfortable having a proper opinion about anything for fear of either being ostracised from society uh, or kind of generally um, sort of shunned by their friends. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've had people com- have converse with me, people who are in the public eye, who say, I love your show, I listen to it all the time, but I can't tell any of my friends. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'm very proud uh, of that. I'm particularly proud of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think people ought to ought to be, um, you know, I'm an absolute defender of free speech and, uh, and and the right to offend people. But, I mean, there are there are limits and there are responsibilities that go with... No, I, I, go- I totally get that, John. I'm, all I'm saying is I think we just have to be careful that we don't shut down everything. Completely, completely agree. You know, um, and, and so as ever, I mean, I used to have these conversations on Talk Sport where we used to talk about football hooligans and the sort of terrible things that football fans will chant at one another uh, at any given time. And I, and I would always say, well, it would be nice if people were just a lot nicer to one another. But unfortunately, that's not the world we live in. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, well, lesson for life, Mike, is yes. people ought to be each other. Now, when I was uh, talking to my producer, Marta, yesterday about getting you on this morning, uh, we decided there were literally no political stories to discuss whatsoever. Um, I'm hoping you might be able to prove me wrong uh, and tell me what? what's going to come up at Prime Minister's Questions. Well, what's going to come up is this um, this finding from the National Audit Office that the government has wasted uh, billions, uh, 37 billion, I think. The number just keeps on going up. Nobody, nobody I'm literally shaking my head at this point because yeah. I, I, I kind of knew that, but I sort of don't care. <laughs> um, on uh, on test and trace. Yeah. And you know, Keir Starmer is bound to raise that in the House of Commons, even though uh, he completely supported test and trace at the time. I mean, his, his criticism is that they, you know, they shouldn't have done it that way. Uh, and they shouldn't have done they shouldn't have spent quite so much money on it but yeah. uh, they should have spent more money on it um you know through the nhs or something yeah. I don't know, through the he's projects, like the I guy think. standing by the side of the road when your car's broken down sort of shaking his head going you shouldn't have bought that that's what he is isn't he? that's the guy <laughs> yeah um yeah no i wouldn't i, I wouldn't have bought that uh, absolutely uh, and uh, you, you you won't be able to fix that mate no no that's gonna uh, cost you a lot of money that blimey bad idea <laughs> But he really is. He's like he's like that guy that you don't want to talk to when you're in a bad place. Yes, because all he all he says is, you know, I wouldn't have done it like that. I mm. would have done it. I would have I would have done it slightly differently. Right. And then you go back and check what Keir Starmer actually said at the time, and it was usually urging the government to spend more money. Yes. Um, but he will go uh, at Prime Minister questions on the question of uh, the waste, right. and you know. He'll go on on the contracts and the, and the fact that the government didn't publish all the all the details of the contracts within the thirty days or yeah. whatever it is that they're supposed to have done. I mean, these are d details and, and and technicalities. I mean, the point about test and trace is that it it didn't work. It was never going to work. Uh, it can't work when you've got a widespread uh, virus uh, like coronavirus. Some people pointed that out at the time, but not very many. Yeah. And also, it turns out that most of the hostelries and uh, hospitality places, restaurants, pubs, whatever, um, who were supposed to be kind of um, invoking the QR code, basically didn't bother doing it. No. <laughs> well, I, mean, you know. I mean, I did wonder when I gave my, my phone number quite sort of dutifully and wrote it down, um, you know, to go to some of these yeah. to help restaurants, I did wonder whether whether other people were doing the same thing or whether the restaurant well was i mean i went with... to, i went to several of them uh where somebody who was with me would give their number uh but then yeah. that was that was the end of that they didn't ask for anybody else they just wanted one and if there was yeah. three of you yeah. uh it was up to that one person to tell the other two if you got a phone call yeah you know yeah, i mean test and trace was never was never likely to work when there was when there was a large uh, level of infections but but on the other hand the the testing system is is huge and effective and i mean effective in the sense that you know a lot of tests are carried out and some of the results even come back quite quickly mm. uh, but the question is whether whether that actually achieves anything i mean it did achieve something in the case of that uh, that person in croydon who who failed to fill in the fill in the form for his his test for the brazilian variant and right. they actually they found found him i mean that was quite uh, quite that was quite yeah that was good, quite a, quite a good effort wasn't it yeah. Amazing. Well, listen, uh, hopefully they won't spiral off into some bizarre conversation about Yemen uh, like they did last <laughs> week, which was quite unexpected. We never saw that one coming. But anyway, John, we shall, as ever, uh, look forward to it. Thank you very much indeed uh, for your contribution. John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent, uh, with his take on Piers Morgan, ITV, Harry and Meghan and the whole uh, shooting match. Because at the end of the day, we need to know where these lines are going to be drawn, don't we? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So here's the thing. 
When you discuss matters uh, of import on broadcasting uh, areas like radio, like television, we here, of course, at Talk Radio are not just a radio station. We're also a television station. Uh, we're out there live streaming right now on YouTube. Uh, we're also live streaming on Twitter. You sometimes get yourself into controversial situations. Piers Morgan is an old friend of mine. I used to work with him. He was my boss. He came in here last October, in fact, uh, to do an interview around his new book, which was all about the wokists and how they were taking over Britain and taking over the world. And it was his battle against the wokists, which was going to be the future. Now, it turns out uh, that as a result of the wokists, he has now been effectively cancelled. He hasn't really been cancelled because Piers Morgan cannot be cancelled. Uh, he basically quit the uh, ITV Good Morning Britain show yesterday. I think in a lot of people's minds that will mean that Good Morning Britain uh, will not be so much of a good morning anymore. It'll be pretty much of a bad morning Britain because they won't be able to replace Piers Morgan. Uh, and as he's just said himself, uh, they managed to beat BBC Breakfast in the ratings war for the first time ever yesterday. His words... My work is done. Well, now he's going to go and do his work somewhere else. Uh, ITV probably, we think, were asking him to apologise for comments that he made uh, about the mental state of Meghan Markle. Uh, he made those comments, in my view, uh, because he thought that that was what was the case and he wanted to communicate that to his listeners. Now, you may disagree with him. Uh, it may be that he was wrong to say that. Uh, I would not have said what he said, but then I'm not Piers Morgan. As I pointed out to him, he gets paid an awful lot more money than I do, unfortunately. But there we are. The point about... The way that we are now constructing our conversations is this. I think we have to be extremely careful about what we regard as a no-go area for conversation, for debate and for discussion. Because if we start drawing lines around things and we start saying that you can't say this and you can't say that and you can't question this person and you can't question that person, then we start to get into some very dangerous territory. I would just say this. Free speech is free speech. There are consequences to it. Of course there are. If you say something which you shouldn't say uh, and libel someone, you can be sued. If you say something uh, which invokes a criminal act, you can also be prosecuted. We already have laws in place for that. But I think if we have to start telling people that they can't talk about certain things, it starts to get incredibly difficult. And free speech is very much at risk. And I don't think that's a place where any of us want to go. This is Talk Radio. Brendan. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Now, um, I presume, I'm hoping uh, that you would agree with most of what I just said, because I think uh, the conversation I just had with John Rental was one in which he basically said, look, you can't, you can't say certain things about certain people. Yes, I think that's, that is what's happening. And I think it's particularly true of Meghan Markle, or perhaps we should call her Saint Meghan, you know, yeah. the patron saint of wokeness, who... Yes apparently cannot be questioned, cannot be blasphemed against, you know, nothing uh, bad can be said about her. I think what the Piers Morgan uh, incident suggests is that um, Meghan Markle has been elevated to the status of this uh, princess of wokeness, this untouchable character, mm. this person who is so pure and wonderful and uh, so truth-telling that anyone who criticises her is essentially guilty of blasphemy and must be punished mm. in some way. And the fact that someone can lose his job, he, he, he seems to have walked away because they demanded that he apologise, mm. but the fact that someone can lose their job for criticising a royal in the 21st century, that is really regressive and really worrying. It is really, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, um, the first sort of uh, words uttered out of Oprah Winfrey's mouth were, what is your truth? Now, I'm already uncomfortable with that phrase because your truth suggests to me that it's not the truth. It is a version of the truth that you wish people to believe. 
Absolutely. And what we got in the Harry and Meghan interview was unquestionably their version of the truth. And um, I really liked the palace's statement yesterday where they said they had that wonderful line, recollections may vary, yes. which I thought was the politest way in history that anyone has ever it accused was... someone else essentially <laughs> of lying. It was charmingly, but, you know, uh, charmingly understated and British, wasn't it? Very understated and, and very accurate, I think. I think, um, yes, it was their truth. They were giving their version of events. It was incredibly self-obsessed and embarrassing and narcissistic. The thing I thought was most striking was their unwillingness to take responsibility for anything at all. Mm. You know, they spent half of the time moaning about the fact that they didn't have security. At one point, I was screaming at my TV, get your own security. It's yeah. not complicated. So they, they wouldn't take responsibility for anything. They, they wanted to paint themselves as the victims of the firm. Mm. And so they had an agenda. They had a political point they wanted to make. And in those circumstances, it's entirely feasible that they said things that were either inaccurate or overblown or exaggerated. Mm. So Piers is right to be sceptical, I think, about some of the things they said. Well, I've also been sceptical about some of the things that they said, but I did go full short of, of questioning her, uh, her mental health because I do know that that is something that, uh, as he later said yesterday, um, is not something that we should probably get into because it's not for us to say. Um, however, there's no question that what they did was a deliberate uh, attempt to discredit the royal family, uh, to discredit the individuals inside the royal family uh, and to do it for their own gain, basically. Yes, I think it was, you know, my view is that it was a pretty grotesque spectacle all around. You know, these two privileged, wealthy people uh, moaning to the billionaire Oprah Winfrey about how hard their lives are. And, you know, Meghan Markle was wearing a dress that cost $4,500, which mm. is twice the amount of the stimulus checks that desperate Americans are currently getting to help them survive during lockdown. So, the whole thing was just so decadent and creepy, mm. I thought. Yes. Um, I think you're right. You know, no one should go around saying, oh, you're not really mentally ill. You're making it up. That's a very unpleasant thing to say. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that when when Piers Morgan clarified his point, he, what he was trying to say is that he, he questions the veracity of their claims that they went to the palace and asked for help. And they said, I'm sorry, you can't get help mm. because it looks bad you know if, if someone in the palace were to get help for a psychological problem that would look embarrassing i agree with him that that part of it seems incredibly unlikely we know that royals um in recent times have had therapy have sought help you know this is uh, and we know that the the cambridges and the sussexes have well, been well, harry i mean even harry himself has spoken about how he's had some therapy yeah. and how that has helped him personally so i mean it's not as if it's an unknown um area for them is it that's right. So that, you know, they are they, they have done this. They do do this. And the idea that they went asking for assistance and they were told, no, you can't do that. That that seems to me very unlikely. But I think the broader point here is the point you made at the beginning is is the question of freedom of speech and whether journalists and broadcasters are at liberty to call things into question, to raise questions, to cast doubt or to be sceptical. That is a central part of a journalist's job. And I'm worried that the, 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 the absence of Piers Morgan is, I think, a bad sign for the broadcast media because yeah. surely we want it to be colourful and difficult and controversial. We don't want it to be a flat wasteland of no. samey opinions. Well, no, I mean, the government will be delighted, I'm sure, because now they can put ministers on uh, Good Morning Britain without fear or favour, knowing that they won't be embarrassed by being asked questions that they can't answer.
That's right. I think what this all demonstrates is that the people who benefit from censorship are the powerful, right? Yeah. Because Meghan Markle is a very, very influential, privileged person. She has a lot of cultural power. She has a lot of cultural influence. Um, she's now being protected from uh, criticism by what ITV has done. And of course, the other people who will benefit, as you say, are the political class and other powerful people who don't like being grilled by someone like mm. Piers Morgan. So the more we um, sanitize the media, the more we tame the media, and the more we censor people who are apparently problematic, the more beneficial that will be for people in positions of power who will be protected from the kind of criticism and skepticism that they should be getting. So uh, no one ever wins from censorship except powerful people, sometimes people with things to hide. Yes, and that will change uh, the influence, I guess, of the media and the role of the media. I mean, newspapers are already much less influential than they used to be simply because they're not read by as many people as they once were. You know, there was a time when I certainly was working at Fleet Street, if you phoned up anyone from a national newspaper office, uh, they would immediately sort of go into a sort of rigor mortis state and be absolutely terrified of what you're going to ask them. Nowadays, I think you can avoid uh, calls from newspaper offices and, and you don't have to worry about it. That's right. And uh, the thing that worries me most about the media and the changes in the media in recent years is that it is becoming a bit flat. I mean, this is why somewhere like talk radio is so important, because mm. you give expression to, to to things that millions of people are thinking, but are rarely expressed in the mainstream media. If you look at the BBC, it is so catastrophically out of touch mm. with ordinary people or if you look at the way in which um the the backlash against the society of editors because after the harry and Meghan interview in which they accused the british media of being bigoted bigoted and racist the society of editors put out a pretty good comment saying look there's no proof mm. that the british media is racist stop saying this and well, now it's a, a completely big... unfounded allegation, like many of the allegations. I mean, I've, I was I passed a piece today uh, from one of my um, one of my listeners who said that they found an article from when um, Meghan Markle decided to marry Prince uh, Harry, and it says that she's now going to get six months of royal lessons in order to teach her to be a duchess. This is the same woman who claims that she wasn't prepared for what she had to do. Exactly right. You know, so much of this story doesn't stack up, and it, journalism's job is to question when there are holes in a story, especially a story being promoted by powerful, influential people, journalists' job is to ask questions about that. That's mm. what we're meant to do. Right. That's what Piers Morgan was doing. Now, maybe he stepped over a line in relation to the mental health question, but the culture of skepticism that he cultivated around Harry and Meghan and around the worship of Harry and Meghan, that was very useful. That's what a journalist is supposed to do. So. There's a culture of conformism at the moment in the media and in society at large, because we all know that cancel culture mobs are lurking around the corner. And if you say the incorrect thing about gender, you could be thrown out of polite society. And if you blaspheme against St. Megan, you could lose your job. This is all having a very chilling effect on media debate and public debate. And I think more people are going to self-censor themselves as a result of this. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Brendan, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spikes Online uh, on the Piers Morgan affair. Uh, Piers Morgan, of course, uh, speaking this morning, says he will be back. Terminator style, and I'm sure that's true. Uh, how soon that happens, nobody knows. As soon as we do know, we will tell you. And we are trying, of course, to get Piers Morgan to talk to us uh, right here on Talk Radio. As soon as we can get that done, uh, we will bring him to you because here we are, the home of free speech. We are the home of common sense. And we do say the things that nobody else wants to say. 
because they're frightened. But nevertheless, we will always be fair, we will always be fearless, and we will always be kind. Well, maybe not always kind. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Uh, now, it's a much less pleasant day down here today, but what we do know is that if you're up in Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon has suddenly got a whiff of freedom and she's suddenly telling people that they can go out and mingle with each other uh, coming up very soon. You can meet two, three, maybe even four people in the open air. But if you've ever been to Scotland, it's quite often not very nice weather. So let's see what Neil Oliver makes of it all. Neil, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Mike. There's no such thing as bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. <laughs> Very well said. Uh, can only be said by a Scotsman as well. I mean, the number of uh, times I've played golf in the rain in Scotland uh, would be legion. Because if you say in Scotland, I'm not going to play golf if it's raining, you'll never play. I, yes, I, I suppose I've, I've grown up. I've lived almost all of my life here. And uh, you just uh, accept it. The weather is just what the weather is. Mm. Um, but I, uh, I love it. I do. I, I love being out in the, I love going, uh, walking in the rain. I like going out in the snow. I, yeah. I like it when it's, you know, freezing cold. I like it when it's sunny. Right. Uh, I find that the, the challenge of it, <laughs> part of, I mean, there's no question. Yeah. Tapestry. There's no question that when I was living in Scotland, if the sun came out, it was literally glorious because you were so starved of it that you would just think this is fantastic. It didn't matter how cold it was. It was just sunny. Oh yeah, the the legend that is taps off, which is <laughs> exactly. the cry that goes out, which means everyone take your tops off. Yes, thank <laughs> you for explaining that. Thanks. Uh, so you can turn you can turn a bright bright shade of orange if you haven't already spent well in Glasgow anyway all day in the tanning salon, but that would yeah. be unfair. Um, let me let me start with uh, with Piers Morgan first of all, because obviously you know we are all about opinions here at Talk Radio. We talk an awful lot about things that that some people don't go anywhere near. Um, what do you make of it, first of all? And how difficult is it now for anyone to work in television and, and have certain opinions? Uh, well, uh, Piers Morgan, um, I, um, I, I, I've never had a conversation with, with Piers, so I, I can't really speak from any sort of personal experience. Uh, but I, I have disagreed in my head yeah. uh, with, a, with a great deal of what he's had to say over the last 12 months. Mm. Um, however, uh, I would never, I would never... Uh, advocate someone being cancelled or sacked for saying, you know, for for voicing uh, honest, heartfelt opinions. Absolutely not. I, you know, no matter. I mean, the, in some respects, the more I disagree with someone, the the more I would be prepared to uh, to say that it, it's fine that they say that. Mm. Um, you know, as I say, I'm sure if I was to sit down with Piers Morgan and and, and certain uh, topics would come up, we might have a right ding dong about it. But that's just the cut and thrust. That's that's life's, uh, you know, that's life's adventure. Yeah. Disagreeing with people and having your rough edges knocked off you and having a right go. Right. And then, uh, you know, agreeing to sort of shake hands and part. And then the next time you meet, you do it all again. Yes. And that's anything, why anything. that's why a lot of people have sort of said that he, what he did yesterday was the wrong thing. But I feel as though, knowing him as I do, that he was obviously at the end of his tether. And I was watching some of his performances from this week, last night, and he looked pretty unhappy. He looked as if he was a guy who was being put upon quite a lot by his bosses. I again, I have, you know, I don't know, I don't know him personally, but I, I guess he's he's someone that um, you know is very independently you know stubbornly minded i think i think he's got a, he, that's how he appears I, I, I couldn't say that's what he, what he's like in in private life 
Um, and he he does have. I mean, he's been he's so successful. Uh, he, he's got a, he's got an absolute genius for uh, for uh, being the headline news. I mean, at the at the moment, in amongst everything, the royal story, COVID, everything else that's going on, to seize the front pages, or to make yourself the topic of everyone's conversation. Yeah. I mean, that 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 speaks of a certain genius. Mm. Uh, you know, for for being able to be uh, current and topical. Yeah. Uh, but I, again, the, the the idea of people having to mind what they say or they'll lose their jobs. You know, he says that's freedom of speech is a hill they die on. You know, I'd have my own version of saying exactly the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and if he has, if he has felt that he had to be elsewhere in order to continue to be himself, then more power to his elbow. Yes, I mean, I think again, knowing him as I do, if he was asked to apologise, he clearly had to make some kind of clarification yesterday, which I saw uh, on his Twitter feed and which GMB put out uh, with regards to what he'd said about Meghan Markle and her mental health. Um, and he obviously was asked to do that. Um, and he probably felt that being asked to do something else and maybe apologising to her was a step too far. And I think he's probably right to, to, to walk away from that. Yeah, I, I didn't, honestly, I, I didn't see it. I didn't. I didn't see the full. Um, I didn't see the broadcast mm. where he where he was. Um, you know, talking about the royal story, um, and I, I only saw, as everyone did, I think, the clip of of the of the stramash on here where he yeah. where he stood up and walked away from the from the you know from his desk. Right. That's that's all I've, I've actually seen. So I'm not commenting from from a position of great uh, you know knowledge of the situation. But again, uh, it. You have to have a free press. You have mm. to have, and a, 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 if, if you're going to have someone like Piers, I mean, we all have a pretty clear idea about what kind of uh, broadcaster Piers is. And if, if ITV wanted to have someone like that, well, you know, you, you take the you take the rough with the smooth. And and for if there was an editorial team thinking that if if at any point they didn't agree with what he was saying, they were going to demand that he that he say their words and not mm. his own. Well, you, you could predict what would happen yes. and, and it happened yes exactly right but what do you find about um the, the the workplace now that we are all in because you write a column for the sunday times uh you do television programs do you find yourself having to be kind of self-censorious oh gosh i mean i haven't i haven't actually made any television i haven't been invited to make any television for years i mean well, well, well i keep seeing all these shows <laughs> popping up on the bbc i assume they're new well, I mean, I've, over the years, I've probably, I think I counted it up once. I think I've made something like 150 hours of telly. Really? Okay. Maybe, maybe, and if you take in Australia and New Zealand, where I've also made telly, you know, it's probably nudging more towards 200 hours of television. Mm. So stuff gets, stuff gets repeated. Um, but, you know, much, you know, more recently, yes, I, I do a, a, a newspaper column uh, and I write books. Uh, and I've always had um, great, great support and, and been, been encouraged to be as opinionated as I like mm. uh, in, in those in those media. Uh, obviously, I mean, you, you know yourself. You, if you work in a newspaper, the lawyers check things. Yeah, they absolutely do. I mean, every every you know every every inch of copy, well, broadly speaking, you know, goes goes under the nose of a lawyer to make yes. sure that there's nothing. And there's no better. And there's no better training for what I do and for what you do than being uh, trained as a proper journalist so that you do know where there are lines. You do know that there are things that you can and cannot do legally. Yeah, I, I, it's, I've said to my kids, you know, I did a degree in, in archaeology years ago and then subsequently I, 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 I trained as, a, as an apprentice cub reporter. Yeah. You know, I joined in the old style, a local paper and did a three-year indenture, part of which was being sent away to college and mm. night school to learn, you know, shorthand and typing. And then right. I went to college and did things like Scots law for journalists and, and uh, newspaper practice. And in many ways, the education that I got there 
has served me better mm. in the rest of my life than my degree did. Yes. And the, and the you know the fact that, and the experience of working in, even in a local paper, you know, knocking on doors, ringing people up, cold calling people, and 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 having to be ready to take the consequences of questions that you were asking, and then to write it up into a story and put it out and face the consequences of being sued if you got it wrong. It doesn't have to make you pay attention to really how does. you're thinking and what you're saying. Right. And I think the advent of the new kind of what I would call celeb reporter um, is a bad one because an awful lot of the people that do that kind of stuff don't have that grounding and they don't know where the where the rules are. And that's why mistakes get made. Uh-huh. We took, we were laughing about it last week. I think it was, you know, the, 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 the dressings down yes. that I had over the years from, from old school uh, editors and mm. the like, you, my goodness! If you want an education, you, you don't. You, you quickly get brought up to speed about about the realities yes. of what you can get away with and what you can't. Right. You know, I've been in newsrooms for the Sun and the Daily Record, and uh, and you know, I've done freelance stuff for other people, and I've worked in a number of local papers. And yeah. It's a it's a it's a in in, in these as training for these uh, febrile times where you know in social media this person and that person's getting cancelled and, and checked for everything they say yeah you know to have any hope of survival at all out there and there's no cast iron guarantees that you won't put a foot wrong but i, I would be very cautious if if i hadn't had at least the kind of background uh in in, in writing for mm. publication that i have had yes exactly right and so you know i suppose in that's in that sense you're um uh, you're not having to really worry about what you put in your newspaper column now or what you write in your books but, I mean, if you were invited back to make a TV show, I mean, we saw what happened to Ant Middleton, for example, this week or last week. Um, you know, I wonder whether you would notice it's a lot different. I, I'm sure I, I'm absolutely sure that I would because the, the tendrils of, of woke thinking have reached everywhere. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, on a, it's like a building that was once uh, cl clean stone is now completely ivy clad. In, in wokeism, yeah. you know, the, the roots and the tendrils have wrapped themselves around every every uh, corner of the mm. of the building now until it's completely overwhelmed. And I'm sure I'm sure it would be very different. And and it would what it would do for me is affect the choices that I would make if I was being offered things because I wouldn't be prepared to do something where where words were being put in my mouth in that way. Right. I've always worked in situations where it was collegiate, you know, where there was. You know, an outline script, and you would have conversations with the director, and you would agree a form of words, and and the, and the whole thing had to suit everyone. You yeah. know, me that was going to say it, they were going to broadcast it, and whatever, and, and you had to do it. it I, I did think about, I thought about that in in terms of the royal story. I mean, I, I don't have a, I don't have a terribly strong opinion about what's going on with with uh, Harry and Meghan and, and Buckingham Palace, but mm. I, I thought, I thought instantly. You know, the, the job of, of being a member of the royal family is so odd. It, it's a relic from the past, being a royal. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, how many opportunities do you get to be a royal on planet Earth now? Mm. And it's a relic from a bygone era. And it comes with a really peculiar job requirement. And I, I for one, not, not that I was ever anywhere near it, but I wouldn't have taken that job in a month of Sundays no. or for a pension because... I couldn't have borne it, and I, and I do think if you were if you're someone coming in from the outside and you were contemplating, as it were, being employed by the royal family yeah. as a royal, right. you'd have to have a look at it and think, could I do that? You know, could I spend my life right. being like that and and 
and appearing in that way. And I would have thought, no. So and then and then to come in from the outside and and be surprised by its strangeness yes. and seek to change it, I think is a hiding to nothing. Well, quite. If you want and to this be a is, royal... And this, is a, and this is already the modern version of what was even more bizarre and arcane when Princess Diana joined it. Uh-huh. Why anybody would... Well, honestly, I'm, I'm saying this from the heart. Why, why anybody would, would contemplate joining that peculiar world is beyond me. I, I just... It's a way of life that I wouldn't follow. You yeah. know, I, I watch documentaries about the Amish, the Pennsylvania yes. Dutch on television, and I find it all very fascinating. Mm. But not in a million years would I marry into that world. Right. Not because I would seek to condemn it, just because I'm thinking it's not the, for you. The, the restrictions on life that would be imposed by joining the, the world of the Amish yeah. would be such that I couldn't do it. So no. I wouldn't marry an Amish person. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a bit like me going into a monastery where you're not allowed to speak. Ah, uh, you, know, you see that you see what the you I see the job spec, <laughs> you see the job spec, and you think, could I do that? And I think no. So back to your original question, if I was you know coming up against a you know a proposed TV project, I, I would only do it if I, if I thought that I could if I was being trusted to to express my own opinions and my own thoughts and my own personality. Mm. And if if it was made clear to me up front that that wasn't going to be possible, then I, you know that would. Well, that would affect my decision making. Yes, I wonder if Piers Morgan is the kind of Mario Balotelli uh, of uh, television. You know, where they like him because he's got great talent and he's got an amazing ability to to get ratings. But then it comes with you know uh, occasional kind of uh, difficulties that the management have to deal with from time to time. They know that, but they hire him anyway. So I think it's a strange facet of human nature that we want, and our, our eyes are drawn magpie like towards shiny things, unusual things, mm. genius. You know, we're all kind of attracted by genius, be it on the football field or be it, you know, a pianist or a, or, or whatever, you know, you know, or someone in the, you know, a Stephen Hawking, we're, we're attracted by it. Yeah. But, but for some reason, we, we, in addition to their being unique geniuses, uh, we expect unrealistic standards of perfect behavior from them at the same time. And, and by by its very nature, somebody who is who has a who has a peculiar genius for something, that 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 peculiarity runs right through them from top to bottom, left to right. And and someone like Piers Morgan, again, I don't know, but he's got a he's got a kind of genius. He has a kind of genius around journalism and mm. broadcasting. He he knows how to make people turn and look at him. And and for us all looking on to think that we would all agree with him. 100% of the time is very strange mm. by his by definition he is someone who is going to enrage and thrill and leave yeah. completely cold and untouched you know right across the spectrum of people and that and that he said something and expressed an opinion and suddenly people are saying oh that's it then he has to be put in a drawer and we'll never look at him again I, right. I find that incomprehensible no i know it is incredible particularly given the nature of what it is that he does because you know, you could you could probably level that at him on any given day, but it's uh -huh. only now that we've got these particular things which are supposedly difficult areas. I, I love, I I genuinely love opinionated people. Yeah, I, I just well, there's love nothing it. worse love, than people who say, "Oh, I haven't really got an opinion on that." Well, it's I, like, I why not? Audacity. I love the audacity and the temerity of of people, especially now. Mm. You know, the the odd person. You know, you know, like Ricky Gervais and whatever. He just, he just. He's fantastic, uh, isn't he? He just says what he 
what appears to honestly think. Yes. And, and, and clearly he's, he's created a, a situation for himself, you know, to do with his financial situation apart from anything else, that means he's he's immune to a, a lot of the hurt that, that could otherwise be brought to bear. Well, he's basically, him. I mean, he said that, hasn't he? I mean, he said in interviews that he can't be cancelled because he's, he doesn't need the money anymore. But, but nonetheless, he could still have, have all the luxury of, of being of his success and just keep his head down, yes. you know, and, and, and do whatever other things that he likes doing. But the fact that he continues to put himself out there and say things, and I, and I, love, I love being appalled by people. I'm not even going to name who they are, but there are people who have whatever television appearances or, they, or, they, or they're out there in the public mm. eye. And some of them I look on aghast, but they are part of the, you know, the, what, what they used to call the gaiety of the nation. Yes. You know, it's, all, it's all part of what makes life worth living. It, it, that, that analogy of the, of the town centres that we all have now that are all identical because they're all provided with the same mm. street furniture and the same branded names. Yeah. There's a there's a joylessness about that. You know, what you want in, in to continue that analogy is to stumble down a lane and find something that you didn't know was there before. Yes. Full of strange shops and strange foods and strange accents. And mm. that's what makes life worth living. And to, and to drive those those people, those brightly coloured people into the shadows, never to be seen again. Mm. Goodness me, what a, what a sad prospect that is. It really is. And, I mean, it brings us nicely onto the political world because that's become a very sort of um, plain and uh, kind of tasteless arena, hasn't it? There's not very many characters left in politics. There's just kind of people who make mistakes because they're stupid or make mistakes because they're idiots or make mistakes because they didn't know any better. Oh, There's I, nobody I, really oh. kind of out there that you would go, do you know, I'd really love to have lunch with that person. That's that's an arena that I find increasingly hard to watch. I mean, yeah. to me, it's it's now just sock puppets, yeah. you know, who just move and mouth the words of of whoever's got their hand up them <laughs> that right. week. Right. You're moving them about, making their lips move. Mm. You never, I don't get the sense from anybody that they're that they're that they're speaking from the heart. Not that I mean, there's people out there on the fringes, you know, struggling to get a look in. You know who I, I think I might be more inclined to listen to, but because simply because they're saying something different, or, yeah. or they seem to be speaking with conviction. Uh, but the people that have made a career of it by 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 managing to say a lot and nothing simultaneously, yes. I, I just find uh, I just find that unbearable. Well, and I think I, don't I think, think I think when we spoke last week, it was after um, Nicola Sturgeon's appearance initially at that uh, committee meeting. But the fact that she sat there for eight hours and basically said nothing at all pretty much sums up where we are doesn't it yes there's there's an there's an absence of uh authenticity and and, and conviction uh i, I mean I, I as i'm sitting here i try and I, I try and cast my mind back to the to the last individual that i i mean looking back i mean people are recycling for example clips of tony ben mm. now, now I, I can remember I mean, I was I was too young for Tony Benn to some extent when he was really in his palm, and I, or 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 if it wasn't that, and I, I wasn't particularly paying attention to things political because I had my mind elsewhere. But I, I know that I would have at the time I would have thought that I didn't agree with Tony Benn. Right. But when but when I when I listen to him speak now, I think, oh my goodness, that's that's a thinker and an orator, uh, and someone who can compose a meaningful sentence. Uh, and to deliver it in a way that sounds sincere. Yes. And furthermore, what he had to say resonates long after him. You know, it's like it's like stars. You know, we know that the light from stars left billions of years ago, and it and it's the the stars themselves have burned out mm. before we see the brightness. Right. And for some of these figures from the past, it's it's almost only now that they that they that they have burned out and gone that we actually 
are bathed in the brightness of of the light that they projected yes. at that time. Uh, but the the things that are the, the the entities that are out there now, I think when they fizzle and pop like you know like ten penny bangers, you know nobody will notice that they were ever here. Far no, less exactly. that they're gone now. Well, he was also very principled, wasn't he? Because he could have been uh, a oh. member of the House of Lords, and he and he just gave it up, which I don't think anyone the, the now is, would do. I, it's not about agreeing. It's it's not that I, I I've not I've never had a political ideology that I adhere to. Uh, it's not that, and and there were there were many stances and things that, that he said and did that that I didn't agree with. But but you can see now looking back that that he had that he was prepared to take a stand, you know, and he was prepared to find a hill to die on mm. in some respect. And it's not all about Tony Bennett. He's, he's just he's just one of the figures that that appears to him out of the past. I mean, people, Ming Campbell, yeah, you know, I was very impressed with Charles Kennedy. A, 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 you know, exuded a, a, a certain or a very different kind of charisma. John Smith, you know, the late, yeah. uh, you know, Labour leader and, you know, some say the greatest, you know, Prime Minister that, that Britain never had and mm. all of that. And I'm not saying I agree with that or I disagree with it, but, but you know, it's those stars from the past that we're seeing their light now and understanding what they actually were in their own time. And it, and it basically it boils down to the fact that whether you agreed with them or not, they spoke with conviction and they spoke sincerely and they spoke from the heart. Yes. And, and therefore, I feel that this is not the right time to ask you about John Swinney, who is none of those things, I'm afraid. Um, but he's probably going to get away with... I mean, the SNP are absolutely loving this Meghan and Harry story because they're not on the front pages at all anymore. Um, but, the thing, but I mean, just finally, because we're about out of time, uh, the rumblings that were all going on last week seems to have just gone very quiet. Is, 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 has it all gone away? Well, not if you live here, no. Um... I mean, just today, I mean, I just found out today that my, 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 my youngest, when he goes back to school, which is imminent, he's going back for three afternoons mm. across a three-week period. No, four afternoons across a three-week period. Now, I, I mean, to me, that's just that's just lipstick on a corpse. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just, there, there's just no point in that. I appreciate the predicament of the schools. They have to, they have to work in the, in the environment that they've been handed. And it's not about the schools. I've got nothing but respect for our, the teachers our kids teachers but i mean that's just uh, that's just madness and then and then the you know the the continuation of well we'll see what happens with with lockdown but yes clearly uh, it, it it must come as a great relief to to all of the politicians when 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 some other bread and circuses is kicked up that 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 distracts people for long enough for them to put together their next insincere public relations yes. statement Indeed. Neil, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Neil Oliver, archaeologist, TV presenter, thinker, philosopher, uh, and many other things, of course, as well. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Christopher Snowden, Head of Lifestyle Economics at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Christopher, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, there's some proposals out there which are bothering you about uh, gambling and money uh, that people can spend and limits on, on, on that amount of money. What's, what's going on? Well, the government is uh, running a public consultation at the moment about gambling. Um, there's a possibility it might uh, produce new legislation in this area. So it's asked for people's opinions. And uh, there's quite a lot of anti-gambling groups out there. One of their suggestions is that people should be legally prohibited from spending a certain amount on gambling. Mm. Um, the figure of £100 a month has been suggested. Uh, I can't think of any precedent for the government limiting how much people spend on any no. leisure activity. And that's one of a, a range of uh, fairly prohibitionist and nanny state measures. Yes, I um, mean, I, I, I wonder whether in the round um, 
that what's been happening to us for the last year is going to encourage the government to be a bit more proactive in terms of kind of curbing the way people behave. That is the big danger, isn't it? Yeah. It has been since day one that if they can force people to stay at home for the best part of a year, um, they can force people to do anything. I would hope the government can tell the difference between a, a, a pandemic <laughs> and, uh, you know, a, a, a bet on the, the horses online or whatever it may be. But yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's a danger. But I think we need to, after this, really fight very hard to reclaim our uh, liberties and uh, try and become a freer society than we were before. Yes, I, I think, think we deserve I, it now. I think I think we absolutely do. We, I'm certainly ready for that. That's for sure. I don't even know how this could work because if you are an inveterate gambler and you're told you can only spend £100 a week on gambling, you're going to find a way of doing more than that, aren't you? You're going to get another account. Uh, you're going to open another account. You're going to end up doing things which might be in some way dodgy, but you're certainly going to not stop gambling. That that's pretty much the problem. Yes, you're, you're dealing here with people who are trying to regulate the internet, which is notoriously difficult to do. Mm. Uh, in this country, if you want to uh, sell gambling products online, you have to be registered with the Gambling Commission. You have to pay tax in this country. If you want to advertise, you have to be a regulated company. But of course, people don't have to use regulated websites. It's pretty easy to find unregulated ones, and they look very very similar to the to the real deal. Mm. Um, and people, there's not that many people use unregulated websites in Britain. Recent research showed about 5% of online gamblers had used one yeah. in the last 12 months, but about 44% said they were aware of at least one unregulated website. The reason people don't really use them, they don't need to. We've right. got you know, fairly sensible regulation on gambling in this country. Um, so we're not like some of the countries in the world where it's very heavily suppressed and everybody has to get a VPN mm. and uh, and Bitcoin and start you know gambling in uh, uh, slightly cheekier ways. But it, it's very easy to do, and that that really is a danger of a lot of the proposals people are putting out at the moment. They want to limit stakes and prizes. They want to slow down the games to make them unappealing. And as we've discussed, you know this idea of having some kind of uh, cap on the amount you can deposit each month. All of these things, if you're making the regulated industry uh, less appealing, less attractive to players, you're obviously going to push people mm. towards the unlicensed market. And that means people end up actually with fewer protections because you don't always know who these companies are. Some of them are okay, but you know, some of them pretty fly by mm. night. And the government's not getting any tax revenue because these companies are all uh, untaxed in the uk right and tax revenue is a big thing in the gambling business isn't it i mean the treasury must get a pretty penny or several hundred million pretty pennies from them yeah more than that more more than a billion pounds uh, a year yeah it's it's, it's very b big business for the um government the government actually lost quite a lot of money when it clamped down on fixed odds betting terminals mm. uh, a couple of years ago i think it was about 400 million pound they're expecting to lose there um so yes i mean there's there's, there's a lot of tax revenue in it for the government, but you, you know, mainly I look at this from the point of view of the players. Um, you know, the anti-gambling activists are proposing measures that will basically, they're just intended to suppress gambling. They're intended to deter people from gambling by making it less enjoyable. Mm. And if you really slow down these games unnecessarily and you bring down the prize and the stake limits so low that there's really no excitement in playing them for a lot of people, then are people going to stop gambling? No, I don't think they will. I think they'll switch to, to other companies, to unregulated websites, um, to, to other forms of gambling. But all this stuff is portrayed as being a way to tackle problem gambling. Problem gambling clearly is a problem. It can have a devastating effect on people. But the reality is, contrary to what you read in the, the press a lot, there is no problem gambling epidemic. 
we've got an epidemic at the moment. It's something when it goes up to a, an unusually high level. What yeah. we've got actually is endemic. Uh, and all, sides, all societies have problem gambling at an endemic level. Fortunately, in Britain, it's quite low, actually, compared to uh, many other countries. Around about 0.5% of the population uh, are classified as problem gamblers. Most of those people you know, are not problem gamblers within about 10 years. They grow out of it, if yeah. you want to put it like that. Um, but it's been totally unaffected. The rate of problem gambling has not gone up for 20 years. Uh, and it's not been affected by the legalization of gambling advertising, by the massive spike in uh, internet gambling, in fixed odds, or nothing. Nothing has affected the problem gambling rate. So the way to deal with problem gambling is to deal with problem gamblers face-to-face. -face. Mm. We now have NHS cl clinics dealing with problem gambling. I think that's a very good thing. I think it's a good thing that the gambling industry are funding some of these projects. But just trying to stop everybody from gambling or making gambling less appealing is really not the answer. No, it's a bit like sort of telling people they can only buy a certain number of bottles of wine because there's a lot of alcoholics in the country and you don't want to be able to buy as much as you want. But, I mean, what about, the, the I suppose, what most people would be concerned about would be underage gambling. Is that is there a problem there? Because the I know that the online uh, and the sort of the app versions of various gambling um, facilities have made it easier for kids to gamble. No, it's actually very difficult for, for kids to gamble. I mean, you need to have a credit card and the credit card company knows how old you are we do have surveys on underage gambling and mm. actually it's been going down a lot it's, it's about halved in the last decade but that includes primarily things that are unregulated and legal so the most common forms of underage gambling are things like playing cards with your friends for money yes. the government's not going to do anything about well that. also there's quite a few games which you can gamble on you know sort of playstation type games where there are credits that you can get and money that you can put on things that you're playing there are loot boxes, which have been a bit controversial. Mm. Um, I don't know that much about them. But, yeah, you, you effectively you use real money to, to buy you know, V-Bucks or something in the case yes. of Fortnite. Uh, and, yeah, you get a prize, but you don't know what the prize is. And there's been some debate about is this gambling, is it not gambling? Mm. I'm not too sure. I'm not convinced it's a, it's a massive issue. But in terms of conventional gambling by children, they don't really do it. And they don't really do online gambling. The only kind of online gambling which is at all prevalent, and even then at very low levels amongst children, um, is, is buying a lottery ticket online, usually with your parents' permission. Yes. Yeah, so I guess what's co what's coming up with this Gambling Commission uh, consultation? Is it is it likely to produce uh, a definitive version of what it wants to do soon? Well, we shall see. I think the anti-gambling campaigners are quite keen for primary legislation. We only had primary legislation in 2005 with the Gambling Act, which, of course, was very controversial. Mm. All that talk about super casinos and so on. Oh, yeah. um, I personally don't think there's any need for primary legislation. The government has said it wants to make gambling regulation fit for the digital age. Well, 2005 was a digital age, really. You know, the Gambling Act um, uh, regulated online gambling for the first time. The only thing that's really changed in and is people maybe gambling a bit more on smartphones mm. but that doesn't strike me as requiring a whole new legislation i think there are things that can be done i think there's a lot of potential in the technology itself for tracking harmful patterns of play and the opera online operators um do so much of this already i don't think people realize that they have all these algorithms they can spot markers of harm they can see if you're suddenly playing late at night or suddenly yeah. playing at higher stakes or suddenly playing different games all these things trigger red flags and the operators do intervene. They can they might just send you a friendly email mm. or they might suspend your account. Now, that kind of stuff, possibly there is a need for finding best practice. And perhaps the government can make best practice industry standard through regulation. But, um, but that would be constructive. Yeah. You know, and that would be you know, exploiting the technology for good rather than these rather blunt uh, 
policies that anti-gambling mm. campaigners tend to favour, which is kind of, you know, if it moves, ban it. Yes. And, and self-regulation, an awful lot of these things is often the best way forward, isn't it? Yeah, at the moment, there's a mix of self-regulation and uh, voluntary initiatives by individual companies or by the, the trade industry. And then there's gambling commission um, sort of advice and guidance. And then there's actual regular, uh, you know, genuine regulation and legislation. I think this stuff needs to be pulled together and kind of codified and formalized because um, it's a bit confusing sometimes whether mm. something is merely advice or whether it's actually the law. I think there is a case for, for making more things legally binding. Um, we need to be a bit careful that we're not keeping out potential new customers. Sometimes industries like lots of regulation because it stops anybody else entering the market. But the technology has so much potential for spotting harmful patterns of play that if we're actually concerned about problem gambling here, we're not just on a moral crusade to get rid of gambling. That's the kind of thing we need to be focusing on. OK, Christopher, thanks very much indeed. Christopher Snowden, the head of lifestyle economics at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Uh, gambling, one of those things we talk about from time to time on this show. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.